Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Why don't we all stand for a moment? Uh, and let's have a word of prayer. But before we do that, uh, I'd like to just say, have you join me in singing the Shema in Hebrew. Do you know it? I heard you guys sing, so I know you can do it. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do one word at a time, and you repeat it, okay? And I'll just, uh, a number of years ago, back in the 90s, a friend of mine, Jonathan Burnus, Jewish Voice Ministries, took all of us to Russia. And I had the privilege of uh, leading 500 people who were forbidden to celebrate Judaism for 70 years in the former Soviet Union. There were 500 people in the first synagogue service in, uh, in St. Petersburg. They had never heard the Shema in their lives. And so I taught them the Shema one word at a time. So what I, what I sing out, I want you to sing back to me. All right? And you know why the Shema is so important? Because the first word is here, O Israel. All right? So God's, God wants us to think about the most important thing is he wants us to hear him. All right, so repeat after me. You ready? Shema. Shema. Israel. Israel. Adonai. Adonai. Eloheinu. Eloheinu. Adonai. Adonai. Echad. Amen. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then what he wants to do do more than anything is to hear him. Avina Malkeinu, our Father and King, Lord, as we stand before you, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah we've been waiting for from the beginning of time, the one who's not only still coming, but the one who has been here, And the one who is coming again soon. The same one who ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives is coming back to the Mount of Olives when he returns. And Lord, we pray that as we celebrate Messiah today, that Lord, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. You would help us to receive with meekness your engrafted word. Because your word is the only thing that gives us life. We pray this in the name of Yeshua, who is the word. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, you have a handout, which I hope will help you. I'm also hoping it'll help me stay on track. <laughs> because sometimes when it comes to a topic like this, I mean, I, I could do a full semester on what we're talking about today. And that's why I'm giving you these charts. Uh, And if you want to take notes on the chart that's in your book, we'll put this up in a few minutes. Once you see it up on the screen, I'll explain, and you can take some notes on that. Uh, But today is a very important day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, You'll be a little bit surprised when I tell you this. How many of you know what the 4th of July is? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Raise your hand if you know what the 4th of July is. Okay. How many, <laughs> how many of you know what Shabbat Hagadol is? 
Okay. Yeah, but how many of you know what it is? For 200 years in American history, there's nobody who lives here even for one year. Because once they see the fireworks over every town on the 4th of July, if, they, if they're immigrants and they come to the country, they say, what is that? Now, my grandson that was born on the 4th of July, he thinks that it's for him. <laughs> but that's because he's a little boy. <laughs> but the fact is that it's an indelible reality in American culture. Uh, someone said to me, well, you know, they do they celebrate the 4th of July in England? And we, I said, yes, they do. There's a memorial service there every year <laughs> on the 4th of July. No offense to England. <laughs> But the fact is, the reason I'm asking you about the 4th of July is because somehow in history, for 200 years, we, who would forget the 4th of July? But somehow in history, most of the Christian world has forgotten Passover. And what's really amazing about it is if, and what we're going to do a little bit of a walk through what Yeshua was doing today, what he was doing yesterday, what he was doing last week. And what I hope to communicate with you today is that what God was doing before the beginning of time was celebrating Passover. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but how many of you remember when Yeshua sat down with his disciples for a Passover Seder, right? And what did he say? He said, I, I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so I... Being neurotic and Jewish, I always have a lot of questions. So, of course, I said, well, how long did he long? Because, you know, think about what he said. I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And the question is, how long did he long to eat that Passover? Did he, did he think about, you know, one day I'm going to sit down with them as he, they were coming out of Egypt. One day I'm going to sit down with them. As the Messiah of Israel, uh, God manifests in human flesh. And I'm going to sit down and have a Seder with my disciples. No. You can go back to any moment in Jewish history, but what you really have to do is how long did he long? He longed from before time was created. And my best example of that is this bottle. How big is your God? My God looks at all of created time and space, all of those great shows you watch on television about science and the universe. All of that fits in this little bottle. All of creation. This is a quarantine. God quarantined evil in a bottle called time. And when God's finished with time, we will enter into timelessness. And so God holds time in his hands. That's why he can look at this bottle and say, looking right down there, 33 AD in Jerusalem, I've longed to sit down for that moment with the disciples and renew the covenant with Israel based on the blood atonement. As the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How long did he long? He held time in his hand and he said, I'm going to fix all of creation until this bottle bursts. And all we'll be left with is timelessness. And the reason why it's a if you want to understand evil and why we have to live in and among evil, it's because God has ordained, making us in his image and likeness, that we live in this quarantine. And the high calling of Messiah 
is that he made us in his image with a purpose and a plan. By making us in his image, the moment we fell in the garden, you know what, you know, you know what Satan did when he made us fall? <laughs> Forgive me, what a fool. What a fool. Some people have a view of God that he is, there's a God God and there's a devil God. But the devil's not a God at all. He might have been jumping impishly up and down when he dragged us down. But did you ever wonder why God didn't intervene? Anybody ever wonder that? I like to tell you that it was his plan. It was his plan that we fall. It's why he made us in his image and his likeness. Because the moment we said yes to Satan's lie, God now had permission for the incarnation. Watch this. He made us in his image and likeness. We marred that image. So now he has to come in that marred image without sin to die for the sins of the world, to unmar the image so we can actually one day fully live in the image he created us in. Come on. Satan is just a small part of this plan. And before we fell on earth, the fall of man, there was a fall in heaven. And this quarantine began when he cast Satan out of heaven down to the earth. Now, I'm not too excited that God made this beautiful planet around Satan's prison and put us in the garden with him. But if you think about it, that means we have to trust God. Even when we fail and we believe the first lie, that first lie destroyed Satan. Because now God said, I guess I'll have to come. And the first prophecy of the Messiah is the seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan, will destroy him. And that's when the idea of a redeemer Messiah came about. And so, and it's kind of interesting because in Jewish history, the rabbis would tell us that it was the holiday of Rosh Hashanah at creation. What the word of God actually tells us is that he's the beginning and the end. And in the, all throughout the Bible, the scripture tells us that the beginning of, for Israel of our Jewish calendar is the first of Nisan. That's getting ready for Passover. And so when we talk about the beginning of time, all of this Jewish calendar reality is in his creation of time. And I like to describe, let me just read something to you. This is a really good definition. Is that the skeletal structure of mankind is the Jewish, the, the structural, uh, the skeletal structure of Leviticus 23, the outlining of the Jewish calendar, is, is the skeletal structure on which God forms all our theology. He hangs the muscle and the sinew and the flesh on a Jewish calendar because it's the Jewish calendar that will be fulfilled over and over and over again until Messiah is revealed. And it will continue until he returns. And so, we celebrate the 4th of July, but we forget about the actual skeletal structure of God's prophetic timepiece called the Jewish holidays. I want you to just see how important this is. Uh, Oh, I have that clicker, right, okay. So, Shabbat Haggadot, I'm doing a series called Doors. 
Shabbat, Shabbat Hagadol, just about everything's a door. I'm coming, I started to do a series called Doors. I was going to do it for five weeks. I'm now in my fifth month. Because <laughs> the more I studied it, I said, everything's a door. Everything happens at the door of your house. Everything happens at the door of the tabernacle. Everything happens at the door of the temple. Every Jewish holiday is a door into something really prophetic. It's everywhere. In fact, Yeshua says, I am the door. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the, the way door, the truth door, the life door. <laughs> and that's how you go from the outer court to the inner court to the Holy of Holies. And finally, there's a curtain there. Now what do we do? Well, the moment Yeshua dies on the cross, there's a curtain that's torn. And then you get to Hebrews and it says, he's the veil. His body was torn for us. And now we can go into the Holy of Holies. Hebrews tells us, so go boldly into his presence. Why? Because he's the door. He opens every door. He's the one that opens door that's, that no man can shut. And so the more I talk about it, so there's a Shabbat Hagadol. It's a door. But what's it a door to? In Jewish tradition, the holiday before, a, <laughs> the, holiday before the holiday is, celebrates the fact that a holiday is coming. So Passover is coming, so we have a thing called Shabbat Hagadol, and it's so that we can make announcements because they didn't have newsletters, no internet. You know, you had to write a Bible by hand on a scroll, right? So God had to give us a way of letting people know something important was coming. So everybody gathered in the synagogue, and so they say, "There's a new moon coming. What's the new moon?" Well, that means it's going to be Nissan One. Who knows what Nissan One is? Okay, what's your name, John? Huh? Ron. Ron. Oh, I heard that. Okay, somebody said there's one guy here who's going to be able to raise his hand for every go. <laughs> I said, John, Ron, I got it. So, again, who knows what the 4th of July is? Who knows what Nissan 1 is? Just Ron and me. <laughs> so, I want you to look at this because it's really important. So let's open these doors. So Shabbat Hagadol... Now listen to this. That was yesterday. Yesterday. Every synagogue in the world read Malachi 3 and 4. So they didn't talk about tithing. They didn't talk about Elijah. They talked about a lot of things, but they didn't talk about those two things. Because Elijah is supposed to come and proclaim the coming of the Mashiach. So do you think on Shabbat Haggadol they would talk about it? I want you to turn in your scriptures for a moment and I want you to see where the rabbis start reading. No disrespect to them. I understand the conflict. Okay? Malachi, chapter 3, and beginning at verse 4. If you look at a Jewish calendar, they'll say, yesterday's reading in every synagogue was Malachi, chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. And I want you to read it with me. Beginning at verse 4. Follow along. Since we have different translations, I'll read it and you can follow along. It starts in the middle of a sentence in some translations. Verse 4, Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Adonai. And again, because I'm neurotic, I go, what does the then refer to? <laughs> you know, some people say, well, here's where you start. And some people say, okay, we we'll start here. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Adonai. Every synagogue in the world reads this. But let's look at what they're missing. Because I believe that when Yeshua stood in synagogue yesterday, in the year 33 AD, they didn't start at verse 4. They started in verse 1. 
So let's follow along with me. Behold, I am sending my messenger. He will clear the way before me. Suddenly he will come to his temple. And the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant, the one whom you desire, behold, he is coming. Now, on the back of your bulletin, where's mine? You will see this on the very back. And it's, it says, the missing text. Why is this a missing text? Because you see, after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, Israel had to reconstitute itself in, in, in Yavna. And then when they reconstituted Judaism and reorganized it outside of having a holy city and a temple, they had to reorganize some things. And it was a traumatic experience to, to take what Ezra and Nehemiah laid out in the Torah Haftorah cycle. How long have we been reading Malachi 3 and 4? How about this? 2,500 years. Who created this reading cycle? Ezra, Nehemiah, probably Zechariah and Haggai had something to say about it. Right? Malachi came a little later. They were coming back from Babylon. And Daniel chapter 9 tells us we're going to come back from Babylon. We're going to rebuild the temple and the Messiah is going to come to that temple. And after he dies and rises from the dead, the temple's going to be destroyed. And guess what? It was. So one of the greatest proof texts that Yeshua was the Messiah is he had to come before the destruction of the second temple. So what, what Ezra and Nehemiah did, and this is their motto. Everybody says it has to have a vision statement. This was the vision statement for Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, we read the Bible. We read the Torah in a three-year cycle before the Babylonian captivity. Maybe we have to read it more often. So they created the Babylonian Torah, half Torah cycle. So they read the whole Torah in one year. Right? So they laid out the Torah portion. And then they said, let's have something to read from the in agreement with the Torah. So they added a haftarah. And that means completion. So we, yesterday we read Leviticus 12, 13 and 14. Or 12 and 13. And along with it we read Malachi chapter 3 and 4 without reading verses 1, 2 and 3. Now why is that important? Because what I'm trying to say, listen to this. If Yeshua, if not if, he went to synagogue yesterday in 33 AD. And in synagogue, and in every synagogue in the world, they read Malachi 3, 1, 2, and 3. Now why is that important? Because Shabbat HaGadol means the great Sabbath. What's so great about it? Well, how many of you have ever went to a Passover Seder and saw the Elijah's cup in a Passover Seder? But if you're a student of the Word of God, where the heck did Elijah get involved with Passover in the Bible? Have you ever read a text in the Bible that describes Elijah having a cup? Have you ever read anything about Elijah celebrating Passover in the Bible? The answer is no, you haven't. Well, why is he a central figure in the Passover? And why do we have to open a door to let him in? Another door. And why do we sing every single year? Next year in Jerusalem. Because he didn't come. So next year in Jerusalem is all a response to, well, where did this messianic expectation develop? Where did we come up with this idea that Messiah is going to come on Passover? 
It comes from one simple thing. We read Malachi 3 and 4. Every Shabbat Hagadol. So every year there was a messianic expectation. Everybody went to synagogue and they read, Behold, I am sending my messenger. He will clear the way before me. And that's the same guy at the end of chapter 4, in chapter 4, verse 23, or 323 in some Bibles. Behold, I'm coming and will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. Now, did you hear that? There's two days here. Behold, I am coming to send you Elijah the prophet for the coming of the great and terrible day. Well, the great day is Shabbat Hagadol. It's the great Sabbath. The terrible day is the judgment day still to come. There's a first coming and a second coming. The great day is waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. And don't you think it's pretty cool that God did this? Don't you think it's a little cool that <laughs> here we why is it that I can say, did anybody go to the is anybody planning on the fireworks on the fourth of July? Of course you are. But on the day Yeshua shows up, and, and let me just explain to you some of the things that happen. Do you know how do you know how much more important Nissan one is? The first of Nissan? Now we're going to do a very quick run through some scriptures. So I want, first, I want you to understand how important Nisan 1, the first day of Nisan, is. It's so important. Now, this is the Jewish holidays as laid out in Leviticus 23. You've all read them. But what if I tell you that Nisan 1 is in Genesis, in the story of Noah? So I want you to go with, in your Bibles to... Turn your Bibles to... to Genesis 8. Noah and his family were an entire year on the water. Now what was God doing? It says, and the Spirit moved on the face of the waters, just like it did at the beginning in Genesis 1-2. And he, and he made the earth into a beautiful place. And so now God moves on the face of the waters of Noah, and, he, and the boat lands on a mountain called Ararat. And this is what the scripture tells us in Genesis 8.13. After spending an entire year in darkness, an entire year riding above all the mountains of the earth. Genesis 8.13. It came to pass in the 600 year and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. What's the first day of the first month in the Jewish calendar? Nissan 1. Now they're delayed for several weeks while they're waiting to see if it's safe. They send out some birds. They come back finding nothing. Not dry yet. Seven days, another seven days, another seven days, another seven days. And by the time they're ready to come out, they're doing a Shavuot sacrifice. A sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. And so Noah lands on Ararat on the first of Nisan, and 50 days later, he's doing a sacrifice that resembles the Shavuot sacrifice. And again, if he didn't understand any of these things, why did God instruct him to bring seven couples of every animal for sacrifice? There's a part of the story we're not being told. But does that sound important to you? Why would God go through the trouble to give us the date in the Bible that... Noah's ark lands on Mount Ararat. 
if it's not important. Is God superfluous? Does he ever do anything superficial? Does he ever give us more information? Don't you wish there was more information? I wish the Bible was twice as big. <laughs> Especially the part where it says, and they told, Yeshua explained everything in the scriptures about them and their hearts melted on the road to Emmaus. I'm going, why did you write that down? <laughs> now, so let's go to Exodus chapter 12 for a moment. Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, and he said, you are to begin your calendar with this month. It will be the first month of the year for you. That's important. Well, I met, I met someone coming in to the, to the church this morning, and he said, yeah, I was, I said, was telling you about Nisan, first day of the first month. He goes, well, I was born on the first day of the first, January. I went, oh, it's a different Jewish calendar. <laughs> so, God makes this date, but it predates even being given to Israel, it's, it's etched in, in the words of God in, ex, in, uh, in Exodus. It's in Genesis 8.13. So God finally gives it to us in Exodus, but a year later when they build the tabernacle and they set up the tabernacle, what day did they set up the tabernacle? The first of Nisan. Huh. Exodus chapter 40, verse 2. First anniversary of leaving Egypt. On the first day of the first month, you are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Do you think God was serious about that? He gave him the date to do it. Make sure the tabernacle's ready for the first anniversary. Now, what would happen if nobody celebrated your birthday ever again? Or nobody celebrated your anniversary? You know, this, is, this is how some theologians think. See, after you have your 50th wedding anniversary, you're not allowed to celebrate your anniversary anymore. It's been fulfilled. <laughs> you have fulfilled 50 years. That's Jubilee. You're set free. <laughs> you can find another wife. <laughs> God forbid. But, but does it, if that sounds ridiculous, then why would we say we don't have to celebrate the Jewish holidays anymore because now they're fulfilled? Why would you not celebrate a 75th wedding anniversary, a 100th anniversary? If you should live so long, why wouldn't you keep celebrating it? Listen, my parents were divorced, and I still remember my, their anniversary when they got married. <laughs> I cry every year on that day. Now get this now. Hezekiah had a revival in, turning your Bible, 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 to 3. Hezekiah becomes king, and he's about to start what's called a Passover revival. So Hezekiah becomes king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord in the first year, the first month. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them, right? And it says in 2917, they began consecrating on the first day of the first month. Nisan won, but there's a problem here. He forgot about the 4th of July. They began consecrating on the first day of the first month, Nisan 1. And on the eighth day of the month, they reached the vestibule of Adonai. Then they consecrated the house of Adonai eight more days, so that on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. What's the problem? Ron, what's the problem? They forgot about Passover! They were still sweeping out the vestibule. But somebody finds a, a, a Torah scroll and they start reading. They go, uh-oh, we missed Passover. 
Not only that, it's a day where you're not supposed to work. They were doing heavy-duty cleaning work of the, uh, of the temple. But guess what? If it was the first of Nisan, and they finished cleansing the temple on the 16th of Nisan, what day is that? That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead on the 16th of Nisan. Ah, couldn't possibly mean anything. (laughs) Just a coincidence, right? So what I'm trying to paint for you is a picture that God from the beginning of time, well, how long has he longed to eat this Passover? Well, he said, keep this day, 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 keep this day. Hezekiah, eh, guess, but he used the Numbers 9 clause. If you miss the Passover, you can celebrate it in the second month on the 14th day. And so now we actually have a second Passover now, which we remember on the calendar. Now, it's amazing to see the things that happen. Everything redemptive in history happens between these days, which is a good time to put up our next slide. So, that slide's not supposed to be first. There it is. Now, this could get a little complicated. But here's what I want you to see. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> hmm. Is it because it's white? Huh? The pointer. I got the laser pointer. I think because it's white, you can't see it. All right, look at, look at your chart on the, on, the, on the left. Do you see what the first... The first box, I'm colorblind. Somebody tell me what color that is. Blue, okay. I, if I guess, it says, no, it's purple. If I say it's purple, it's blue. So why ask? Notice the next thing after Shabbat Hagadol is Passover. Shabbat Hagadol is really important because it's the, it's the trumpet call. Passover is coming. Right? Now watch this. This is on your chart, but we're going to walk through it. Watch, watch this. There are two 50-day periods within the Jewish calendar that are seven weeks plus a day. God is really obsessive-compulsive about sevens. All right? So watch. Between Passover and Shavuot, 50 days. Did anything important happen between Passover and Shavuot? We left Egypt, got to Mount Sinai, and on the 50th day, God spoke audibly to every man, woman, and child on a mountain that was on fire. Literally, like nuclear, it looked, they were scared to death. They couldn't figure out how Moses could possibly be alive on top of that mountain for 40 days. So what does 40 in the Bible mean? Just shout it out. What does 40 indicate? Huh? You know what? I have 30% hearing loss, so I can't hear what you're saying. (laughs) Colorblind, hearing loss. My knee hurts. Sciatica. (laughs) 40 means judgment. 40 days, 40 nights, flood. I mean, God... God thinks about this stuff. But what does 50 mean? Everybody knows what that means. Jubilee. What happens on Jubilee? Freedom. So, just for a quiz. Why does Yeshua ascend on the 40th day 
and do nothing until the 50th day. He's turning our judgment into jubilee. And he's waiting for Jewish holidays because he's been waiting from the beginning of time to do this. Right? So, seven weeks, 49 days, plus one day equals 50 days. Nisan 16, we left Egypt. At Mount Sinai, God spoke to the whole nation and spoke out loud. Just like we said the Shema together, God said, commandment number one. Commandment number, he said, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. Better do what I say. My wife thinks that sounds very Italian, the Ten Commandments. <laughs> you know, I'm the God that brought you out, now you're mine. You got to do what I tell you to do. You don't do what I tell you to do. Lightning's coming out of heaven, boom, you're gone. It's the way my wife sees the world. She's, a, she's Italian. We did the DNA, 70% Italian. She's more Italian than most Italians. When there's a problem in the congregation, she goes, well, we could take care of that. <laughs> we ran away from home without being married because we were so scared of everything. Her family hated me because I was Jewish. Not really because I was Jewish, because I, I was not Italian. My family hated her and me because she wasn't Jewish. So we said, my wife says, well, let's get out of here. I said, okay. She says, we got, let's go right away. We got in her 1970 Dodge Dart, and we drove all the way to Oregon, as far away as we could from our parents. So she says to me, let's get going because my uncles are coming down from Massachusetts. And I said, well, I want to meet them. And she goes, they're not coming to meet you. They're coming to kill you. I said, whoa. In that case, let's get in the car. Let's go. So that's exactly what happened in Egypt. Right? They're going to kill us. Let's get out of here. Right? So, just maybe it's a stupid coincidence that from the beginning of time, God planned the exodus. So what do you think they were doing for the first 16 days of Nisan in Egypt? Come on. Da, 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 da. Okay, time's up. What's the question? What were they doing in Egypt for the first 16 days? Huh? Preparing's good, but there was some really uncomfortable stuff going on. Starts with the number 10. 10 plagues! God was judging Egypt. Yeah, I, I mean, it my wife says, don't ask people questions because they, they feel like you're going to make them look stupid and they're not going to say anything. And then when you tell them, they feel stupid. I'm really sorry. <laughs> God knows what he's talking about. When Nissan 1 comes, look out. And guess what? What's the 10th plague? Isn't that the death of the firstborn? So do you think God was thinking this through? That the last false god of this world he wanted to judge was a guy who thought he was God, who gave birth to a god. God and the son of God. How do you like that? And so God says, on that night, I want you to kill a lamb 
put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, and the angel of death passes over, all the firstborn that are in there will not die. And, and it's really kind of sad that the Jewishness of the gospel got lost because in actuality, Yeshua probably didn't carry a big cross, right? What he carried was a, a beam because he carried that up and they nailed him to it and then he put the blood on the doorpost. Got that? I think that'll sell. Listen, God knows what he's doing. 50 days, he judges the gods of Egypt and the last one to be judged and then God makes a law in the Torah concerning the 10th plague. He says, from this point on, Moses, tell the people of Israel, every firstborn son must be redeemed so that you never, ever forget that I saved all your firstborn children. Every Passover, I cry. Because I look at my son Jacob, my oldest son, and I go, that would have been him. Right? And really, that's what God, why do you want to celebrate Passover? Because you really want to feel that. Because what was, why was God going to judge this? Why is this the 10th plague? Because it's the one you're going to remember the most. Because this false god was a blasphemous misrepresentation of the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guy believed he was God, gave birth to God. That's God and the Son of God. And the Son had to die. And still... The Pharaoh did not repent. So, in the Hebrew, it's a little more interesting. People say, people form their theology on this passage in a very tragic way. But in Hebrew, it doesn't actually say, God hardened his heart. It says, God hardened his hard heart. And the, the reason that's important is because this is not some new, a new way to reinforce a sovereignty that doesn't give anybody free will. It's a way to reinforce the fact that when God knows someone's never, ever, ever going to be repenting of their sin, he's going to say, well, I can use that to make a point. So all he did was harden his hard heart because he, God wanted ten plagues. He could have got us out on one or two. But God knows exactly what he's doing. This is why we shouldn't give God a lot of advice. <laughs> Though some of us sometimes think we have a prophetic gift to do that. Sorry if I'm stepping on any toes. So, God nails down an interesting, in every Jewish home, you know what we do? We take a mezuzah with a shema on it and we nail it to the doorpost of our house. I wonder if that means anything. <laughs> I think it does. So, watch this now. God never intended to have another seven-week period on the Jewish calendar. This next seven-week period is because we sinned. God wanted everything to happen in this seven-week period, and pretty much does, right? Yeshua rises from the dead. In every synagogue, in Orthodox synagogues, they, they take what Leviticus very seriously. It says, count the days between Pesach and Shavuos, 50 days. So in every synagogue, every night in our home, we say tonight is the first night of the counting of the Omer. Tonight is the second night of the counting of the Omer. But here's how we do it, because this is how God did it. Today is the first night, first day of the counting of the Omer, the first day Yeshua was risen from the dead, 16th of Nisan. Could that be a coincidence? Second day of Omer, second day Yeshua was risen from the dead. 
Third day of Omer, 40th day of Omer, judgment. He ascends into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Ten days later, he pours out the Holy Spirit in the temple. The same day that God spoke, probably the same time of day that he spoke to Israel audibly and gave them the ten commandments. God likes the number ten too. It's always a problem. Somebody once asked me this question. Does your congregation vote on everything? I said, oh yeah. Just like in the Bible. Anytime they let the whole community vote, they got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Let's make a golden calf. Let's take a vote. Everybody, everyone who says I, I. Aaron goes, I. <laughs> they built the golden calf. So if you want to base your congregational uh, polity on, uh, on democracy, I, I don't think it's a good idea. And I could, Cora had a good idea. Everybody voted. <laughs> you can go through the whole Bible and find out. Yeah, they definitely, the Bible teaches that you should have dem democratic voting. It's just that you should listen to your elders <laughs> and your people with the wisdom. And even they didn't do so good sometimes. That's my favorite moment in the Bible. When Moses comes down with the golden calf, he looks at Aaron and he goes, Who are you thinking? He goes, Well, it just came out. He lies. Just jumped out by itself. So Moses says nothing, and he says, he draws a line, he goes, okay, he was on the Lord's side, step across the line, and Aaron goes like this. And Moses says nothing. So, are you getting the point that these time periods are brutally important to God? But we celebrate the 4th of July. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about it, what, I, what I'm looking for is compassion and a revelational understanding. How could we forget something that God said never forget? And I want you to understand this. When God says do this until the end of time and never forget this, he means, he mean, it's not, no bolts are coming out of heaven. He's saying, I got a plan. So he then go, makes this big idea. He gets this big idea. Three times a year, I want you to go to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot. So why do you think so many people showed up for to see Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? Why do you think there were so many people there to see Yeshua rise from the dead? Because everyone was there for Passover. God knows what he's doing. Why were there so many people at the temple on Shavuos when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place? Because what does the scripture say? All the devout Jews from all around the world were there. And it were the devout Jews that always showed up, the ones who weren't said, ah, I'm not going. But that's because God, when God makes a divine appointment, it's a divine appointment you don't want to miss. Can you imagine? So, well, should everybody miss coming to church? I don't think it's a good idea. Not if you think we're in the end of days. Because Hebrews says, as the day approaches even more so, do not forsake the fellowship of yourselves. Do not forsake fellowship. Well, can you imagine if one of the disciples slept in on Shavuos and they had to explain to him, oh, you should have seen it. Cloven tongues of fire came down. We were all speaking the same language yet. Everybody understood what we were saying. And he goes, what, what do you mean? Wait a minute. Explain that to me again. Can you imagine if one of them overslept and didn't go? Boy, that's a service you don't want to miss. <laughs> right? Apparently, God was underscoring. There are no exclamation points in Hebrew. The way God underscores something is he repeats it over and over and over again. Like Leviticus. God says, here's how I want you to build it in Exodus. 
in Leviticus, he says, and so they started building it. This is what they built it with. And then he says, they built it, and they built it with this. And then they looked at it, and they were done. And this is what they had done, and this is what they did with it. And they say the same thing over and over and over again. That means to most people, don't read it again. But don't, that means you should read it over and over again. Because it, God's underlining this. The tabernacle and the temple is going to be really, 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 really important. So how important is it that Malachi... Chapter 3 says, Behold, I am sending my messenger. He will clear the way before me. Suddenly, he will come to his temple, the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant, the one whom you desire. Behold, he is coming. I think this is the right direction. Behold, he's coming. And look what he's writing. Prophet Zechariah said he's going to come in the coal. One that's never been ridden before, which means it's wild, but when he sits on it, he's the prince of peace, and the donkey says, okay with me. That's a sign. <laughs> right? So, now I want you to just think about the, today. Today is the day that Yeshua is getting ready for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he's going to find a donkey. And the guy says, well, where are we going to get a donkey? He says, yeah, ask the guy. Tell him it's for me. And he'll say, okay. Still, doesn't that sound Italian? <laughs> oh, for you. <laughs> so, I want you to go, because we'll be here all day, I want you to go with me to the Gospel of John. I want you to see what an astounding mind God has. His, his thoughts are as high above ours as the heavens above the earth. A couple of things happen that are very, very important as we approach the final Passover Yeshua's life. Right? First of all, and I'm, I'll just say this instead of having you look up the scriptures, but, if, but apparently leprosy is a supernatural sign above almost all other signs. In the Bible. And so guess what we read. Along with Malachi yesterday. In every synagogue in the world. Leprosy. It's, the pat, it's a second. Two Torah portions. Out of 52 Torah portions. Two of them. Every year. Are about leprosy. Boring. Is all get out to read. Here are the rules for lepers. I mean. <laughs> But let me tell you something. When the scripture tells us just before in chapter, uh, uh, in chapter 10 of John, or maybe it's in Luke. Let's just take my word for it. <laughs> no, don't do that. It says, on his way to Jerusalem, he was met by 10 lepers. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is the third Passover since he declared himself to be the Messiah. He's coming to die. On his way to Jerusalem, he's met by... Isn't that an interesting number? How many lepers? Ten lepers. Mm. Everybody go, hmm. <laughs> Only one says thank you. Nine get healed. One gets saved. But because of Leviticus repeating it over and over again, look, if you're a leper, you've got to see the Kohen Gadol. Go to the Kohen Gadol. 
If you don't go to the Kahane Gadol, no matter how clean you are, you still have to say, unclean, unclean. You have to wear bells, unclean. Until the Kahane Gadol says you're clean. And after you get clean, you're going to spend seven days outside the camp until he examines you again. Now, this particular office in Jerusalem has been closed for centuries. Because virtually nobody ever shows up in this office. It's called Kohen Gadol, cleanse the leper office. When, the, you, when these guys arrive, there's cobwebs so thick you have to cut it with a machete. Because nobody ever shows up. Why? How, how important is this issue of the Kohen Gadol? There's only three places in the Bible other than Yeshua, that are healed of leprosy. The only one is Naaman, who has to go see Elisha at the Jordan River. Whole nother story. He doesn't want to go in this river. This is the river Yeshua was immersed in. This is the river Joshua crossed and parted when he went across it. This is the river when Elijah went up in the chariot, he smacked it with his, with his mantle, and it split in two places. And they went across with, with Elisha. His, he was the mentor. He said, if you see me go up in the chariot, you get my double portion. So he goes across, drops his mantle, picks it up. Elisha hits the water. It parts again in two places. He goes back across. And what's across? In Bethany, beyond the Jordan, what do we find just up the little hill? There's a cave called the Cave of Elijah, where Elijah lived. So we're not just talking about an unimportant place here. This is the exact same place that Yeshua comes to get immersed by John. And when he heals it back in December around Hanukkah, and they say, we got to kill him, it says Yeshua went across to Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where he was immersed, and he hid there. You know what that means? It means very likely, I can't say for sure, but very likely the only place to, to, for shelter there was Elijah's cave. He stays there from December until this moment in the scriptures. In John 11, verse 1. So they're at Bethany beyond the Jordan, hiding since December. And listen to this conversation. There was a man who had fallen sick. His name was Eleazar, or Lazarus. And he came to Bethany, the village where Miriam and her sister Martha lived. This Miriam, whose brother Le, uh, uh, Le, uh, Lazarus had become sick, is the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so sisters sent a message to Yeshua. Lord, the man you love is sick. Very, very sick. On hearing it, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may receive glory through it. Now, I want to tell you, there are two very, very different kinds of glory that Yeshua is going to receive. And it's important for you to remember this when we're done. So if I start to close and you say, tell us, what are the two important glories? Just don't let me stop without saying what they are. So Yeshua loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, first he stayed there for another two days. What happens to, how do you feel about the pastor? You I'm sick and we don't show up for two days. We don't call for two days. <laughs> and Yeshua does it on purpose. I'm staying. I got nothing to do. I'm looking at the Jordan. 
And then he says this. So when he heard he was sick, first he stayed there for two days, and then after the two days, he said to his Talmudim, let's go back to Judea. Listen to the response. And the Talmudim of Yeshua said, Rabbi, just a short while ago, the Judeans were out to stone you to death, and you want to go back there? They're talking about a blind man they healed back in December. And it's now like April. And they're still afraid. And Yeshua says, aren't there 12 hours in daylight? Right? Now listen to this. Verse 11. Yeshua said these things, and afterwards he said to the Tamadim, our friend Lazarus has gone to sleep, but I'm going in order to wake him up. And the Tamadim said, Lord, if he's gone to sleep, let him sleep. He'll get, he'll get better. Now when Yeshua used this phrase to speak about Lazarus' death, but they thought he had been talking literally about sleep, so Yeshua told them in plain English, or English, language, plain language, Hebrew, Aramaic. Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, listen to this, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may come to trust. But let's go to him. And listen to Thomas again, this poor guy. Yes, we should go so that we can die with him. Actually, we do die with him. It's a good thing. But that's not what he meant. <laughs> On arrival, Yeshua found Lazarus had been in the tomb. I don't have to read the story. Verse 21, you all know what happened. Martha comes to Yeshua and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God. So while this is all taking place, what do you think is going on in Jerusalem? There's like dozens and dozens of people who have showed up lepers at knocking on the Kohen Gadol's door. Hey, um... Is Kohen Gadolin? Um, well, he's busy. <laughs> he's doing sacrifices over to the temple. This says the leper door. We can't go in any other doors. So now they got to get the Kohen Gadol. The Levites have to come and say, there's all these people waiting. There's like dozens of people now standing there. And they're saying, what do you mean? You had leprosy and you now don't have it anymore? Who, how did you get this way? Well, Yeshua, pri- oh. Who, oh, I'm afraid to ask. How are you no longer a leper? You, don't, don't tell me. Let me guess. Yeshua. <laughs> so you can see the Kohen Gadol and the Pharisees, they are starting to freak out. Meanwhile, while all these people are knocking on the door of the Kohen Gadol, his friend Lazarus is dying and dies, and they put him in a tomb after the first of Nisan. On his way to Jerusalem. Healing the ten lepers. they got to spend a whole week after they're told that they're clean. They have to spend a week outside the temple grounds until they can come back in. There's 14 days before Passover, right? And so he's standing there and he says, Lord, if, she says, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give it to you. And Yeshua said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he's going to rise again at the resurrection of the last day. That just tells us she was an observant Jew. She knows her theology. She knows there's a resurrection in the end of days. Don't let a Jewish person ever tell you Jews don't believe in the resurrection. We always have. <laughs> Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever puts his trust in me will live even if he dies. And everyone living and trusting in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, oh yeah, I do. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Read about it. Shabbat Hagadol, Malachi. You're the guy. <laughs> After saying this, she went off and secretly called her sister. She says the same thing. 
To make a long story short, and you all know the story very well, take the stone away. But Lord, he stinks. Didn't I tell you if you keep trusting, you will see the glory of God? So here we come into the first glory. What are the purposes of signs and wonders in the Bible? Huh? I can't hear. <laughs> Proof for what? What's the response? God wants us to believe. Signs and wonders are to make people believe. Now, isn't it interesting that when Moses was so unsure about being a leader, God said, look, let me give you a couple tricks. You see that staff in your hand? Throw it down on the ground. Abracadabra, boom, snake. I mean, I don't know. To me, it looks really amateurish, tricky kind of. I mean, I, I'm not going to question God, but he says, do this trick for me. He says, if they don't believe that one, Stick your hand in your jacket. Pull out. Ah! He's got leprosy. Put it back in. Have we ever met? <laughs> healed. <laughs> or he pulls a rabbit out. <laughs> but he's healed. Now, isn't it, how many Bible scholars, how many times did Moses use this gift? How many times? At least it's not written except one time. When Aaron and Miriam had a problem with their brother, they thought he was going to run for president. <laughs> they had a problem with their brother. They said, who do you think you are? He's got to make Israel better than it's ever been. <laughs> no, but here's the problem. He married a black woman, an Ethiopian woman. So if anybody ever says to you, <laughs> well, the Bible says there's no miscegenating. Uh, you could say, uh, man, God, like himself, answered this question a long time ago. How did God feel about Moses marrying a Gentile black woman? Well, when God came down and said, you know, when I, again, doesn't it sound rather Italian? You three here. He says, um, when I talk, the prophets, the dreams, interpretations. But when I talk to Moses, I speak to him, panim, panim, right? Face to face, as a man speaks to a man. Why did you think you could talk against Moses? And it says, and the Lord left. And then Aaron looks at his sister, and she looks like a half-born child. She's in late stages of leprosy. And he cries out to Moses, and Moses says, oh, I know this. He says, Lord, heal her. And she's healed and made whole. So now what does she have to do? She has to go to the Kahen Gadol. Oh, he's standing right here. Aaron is the first Kahen Gadol. Maybe God's trying to tell us something. Maybe this sign is reserved by God to be a sign to the whole world that affirms that Yeshua is God manifesting human flesh. So he heals his sister. And then Naaman shows up. And he's the only other guy in scripture except for Job. And he didn't even have a Bible to read. That makes him like numero uno believer in history. He didn't even have a Bible. He says, no, nope, I know my Redeemer lives. Boom. How do you know that? <laughs> well, so 
All the lepers are on their way to the Kohen Gadol's office. Why? Because the Torah affirms it, says you have to do it. These are the rules of engagement. If you're a leper, this is what you have to do. If you're the Kohen Gadol, you have to do this. They're all on their way to the office. They're being bombarded with healings from lepers left and right. Meanwhile, a very wealthy man in Bethany gets very, very sick. And because they're wealthy, all of the finest people show up. Again, God's making divine appointments. Deeply moved, Yeshua came to the cave. The stone was lying in front. He's also doing a dress rehearsal for his own resurrection. God's so cool. Take away the stone. Oh, Lord, he stinks by now. Didn't I tell you that if you kept trusting, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Yeshua looked upward and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Now listen to this. I myself know that you always hear me. What's the word for hear? Shema. Right? I know you shema me. I know you do. I know you always shema when I talk. But I say this because of the crowd standing around, so they may, everybody, believe that you have sent me. Signs and wonders have a purpose so that you may believe. Having said this, he shouted, good thing he said his name. Lazarus, come out. You know, Yeshua has to be very specific because of who he is. If, I mean, if he just said, come out, every grave on the earth would have opened up. Lazarus, in this cave over here, that one, come forth. And he, and he comes out like this, you know, and he says, untie him. I don't know why he couldn't untie him. <laughs> well, I guess God wants us involved in the process. So unwrap him and let him go. Let my person go. <laughs> and this, many of the Judeans, listen to this, who had come to visit Miriam, had seen what Yeshua had done, trusted in him. That's the first glory that the witnesses would believe. But remember, what day is it? It's sixth day. It's, well, wait a minute. It's before Shabbat Hagadol, right? So now he's risen from the dead. Now not only are the pilgrims are starting to show up in, for Passover. There's literally tens of thousands of Jewish people on the road and they're hearing about lepers and they're hearing about blind men. They're hearing about all people raised from the dead. And then all of a sudden they say, Lazarus was risen for, was in the grave four days. And this is literally spreading like wire fire through Jerusalem. And everybody's talking about it. At every entryway into the city, people are talking about this. And having said this, he came out. But some, verse 46, some of them went off to tell the Pharisees and told them what had been done. And listen to this. So the head Kohanim and the and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin and listen to what they said. This is the other glory. One of the glories is that they will know this is the Messiah. But there's another glory because God has almost a fetish for time. He's obsessive compulsive about time because time makes a point. Right? What are you going to do? This man is performing many miracles, right? All the people showing up at the Kohen Gadol's office. If we let him go on like this, everyone will trust in him. Yay. <laughs> and the Romans, listen to this, and the Romans will come and destroy both the temple and the nation. 
What? That's the other glory. How is that a glory? Now listen to this. When you go through the next trial you go through, I want you to remember this. Because there's some people that will tell you, if you're sick, it's not God's will, you're sick. Was it God's will that Lazarus was sick and died? It was for the glory of God. But there's another glory. God is fulfilling prophecy so that we will know beyond any shadow of a doubt, it's him. I know we're going a little long, but listen to this. He says, if we, they said, look, if we let him go on like this, they're going to, everyone's going to believe in him and the Romans will come and destroy both the temple and the nation. Now let, let me explain this. This has happened over and over again to the Jewish community in Jerusalem. Remember, the parallel of Yeshua's day is very similar to the captivity of Babylon and very similar to being slaves in Egypt, except we're in our own hometown ruled by people who hate us. And they've corrupted the priesthood. Right? They appointed the high priests. Rome. And so what I'm saying to you is don't just go negative on these Pharisees. They are dramatically over. Every time someone says they're the Messiah and they get a little bit of a following, 10,000 Jews get crucified. Every time. Yeshua wasn't the only one crucified. It wasn't just two guys on either side. But listen to this prophecy. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the Kohen Gadol that year, uh, said, you people don't know anything. Don't you see that it's better for you if one man dies on behalf of the people so the whole nation won't be destroyed? What? Now, he didn't speak this way on his own initiative, Rather, since he was the Kohen Gadol that year, he was... Now, wait a minute. Don't you want that guy to be evil? He's not evil. God has blinded him. Since he was the Kohen Gadol that year, he was prophesying that Yeshua was about to die on behalf of the nation, and not for the nation alone, but so that he might gather into one the scattered children of God. And you see, God had painted everyone, including Rome, into a prophetic corner. You ever paint yourself into a corner, right? You know, you're, you know, oh, this looks so great. And then you stand there and you realize you can't walk there, but <laughs> you didn't paint the corner. And you can't get out until it dries. <laughs> They've all been painted into a corner. And so the glory of God multitudes. So get this. Why did so many people show up for the triumphal entry? Well, it's Passover. All the pilgrims are pouring in by the tens of thousands. The city's overwhelmed with people. Stories have been flying. Lepers, blind men, Lazarus, four days. The office, they had to open a whole new wing for cleansing lepers before Passover. And then you start to get the story before Passover. Before Passover? Yeah, they they gotta get ready for Passover. This is like a really important thing. And so all these people believe. And so yesterday was Shabbat Hagadol. Today is the sixth day that he has a meal with Lazarus and Martha and Miriam. And it says they were trying to kill them too. And there's six days before. And then it says the next day, which means either sometime later today after Sunday or tomorrow, he gets a he says, hey, listen, I need to go into Jerusalem on a donkey that's never been ridden on before. 
Well, that's a wild donkey, Lord. Don't worry about it. And so he comes into this town, and there are literally tens of thousands of people throwing palm branches on the ground, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Why? God knows what he's doing. Some of the Pharisees say, tell him to be quiet. Rome's gonna, we're gonna get killed again. And you know, permit me just to say this. There's a scripture that people live on in perpetuity, believing that there's a blindness that has fallen on Israel. That, that was done a long time ago. God said, I'm going to give them eyes that they shall not see, ears that they shall not hear. So some people think of that as a perpetual state. No. If Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin all believed that he was the Messiah, they would have died for him. They would have every Jew in Jerusalem lay their lives down for him if they thought he was the one. So God gave them blindness. Why? Because, now think about this. Yeshua comes and he stands before Pilate and he goes, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm the one who can set you free. And Yeshua says, I guess you don't know who I am. Again, doesn't it sound Italian? Uh, my wife's right. <laughs> I, I have a scripture for that. Abraham, listen to your wife. <laughs> so he says, see, I got this power. If I say death, boom, you're dead. If I go this, you're, you live. And Yeshua really just, you know, says, look, for this purpose I came into the world. All right? So what does Pilate do? He says, give me a ball. He wasn't celebrating Passover, you know, when you watch let me say the brucha over the washing of the hands. He was saying, washes his hands. He says, I wash my hands of this whole thing. And I say, from a Jewish point of view, that's really good. Because if the death of Yeshua was administered by pagans who hate God and hate Jews, they couldn't hate Christians because there weren't any yet. <laughs> they just hated Jews <laughs> who followed Jesus. He washes his hands. He goes, I'm done. I'm done. Actually, he was Italian. <laughs> so, he says, look, I let one guy go every year. I want to be good to you. Barabbas over here, come on forward. No, nope. nope, we don't want him. Now, this is where some people get downright anti-Semitic. The crowd start crying out, his blood on us and all our future generations. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And people say, well, the Jews killed Christ. It's their fault. <laughs> Guys, if we didn't kill him, if the Kohen Gadol, according to the Torah, does not lay hands on the lamb and, and place the sins of Israel on the lamb, then nobody's saved. So, as uncomfortable as it says, did, you, did the rabbi come here and say, the Jews killed Christ? Yes, I did. So did everybody else. Because without him, nobody's saved. But the fact is, legally speaking, Torah speaking, Leviticus, rules of engagement for lepers, and especially for the dead, and especially for resurrections, they have to be supervised by the Kohen Gadol. And the Kohen Gadol is the one. And that's why that scripture is so incredibly important. He prophesied. Now the people are prophesying. 
A guy once came up to me and said, have you had the blood curse removed, brother? I said, what blood curse are you talking about? He said, you know, Jews kill Christ. You know, you guys got to have that murder thing taken off of you. And I said, that wasn't murder. Didn't you hear what Yeshua said? I came for this reason. I said, you got accuse him of suicide if you want, but that's just ridiculous. Who killed him? He killed himself. Well, that's suicide. No. <laughs> he, laid, he was a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the only one without sin, so he's the only one qualified to do it. I can't take a call. Lord's just trying to tell me, will you shut up already? <laughs> I said, just bear with me in their moment. So what's the other glory? Is in all of this dilemma, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, man, what do we got to do? We gotta, this, if, we, if we don't do something, everybody's going to believe in him. They go, got to kill him. It's better one man dies. But Passover's coming. We got to do it before Passover. Come on, go, ooh. What? This is the other glory. He has to be the Passover lamb. He has to die before the sun goes down on the 14th, becoming the 15th of Nisan to be the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he's a Seder, the, the eve of the 13th becoming the 14th and goes into Gethsemane and this whole story unfolds. Why were all the people there? Because the Lord had orchestrated all the signs and wonders of history to converge on Shabbat HaGadol. He comes into the triumphal entry into the city. The people are there. The, the glory of God is this is him. This is the one we're waiting for. And the Pharisees say, we've got to kill him before Passover. What they're, again, prophesying is, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's got to die Friday afternoon. Otherwise, we're all in trouble, and the whole world will turn to him, and Rome will destroy us. But in actuality, God was hardening their hard hearts. But they weren't as hard as Pharaoh. Because later in Scripture, it tells many Pharisees came to believe. Paul's one of them. And what I'm saying is the other glory is don't always assume that what you're going through is that God's going to only have glory if you're healed from your sickness because God knows how to use both. He used the rejection of Yeshua by the Kohen Gadol and by the Sanhedrin and by the people. Everybody voted. It was, there was a decision made. He's got to die. Don't let Barabbas go. He's got to die. Why? Because God decreed it. And Yeshua told Pilate the very same thing. People, we know what the 4th of July is. There's a lot. There are more fireworks in this scripture. And we're not even scratching the surface of everything going on. How God is so supernaturally beyond our mind's imagination to understand how he's orchestrating that Yeshua dies, and I'm going to tell you one closing story. And the reason I know this is such an amazing thing is because my dad, when he died, it was very painful for me. I won't go into the whole details. My dad hardly ever spoke to me. My parents' divorce was bad. My dad said, when you're dead, you're dead. That was his only theology. So the night my dad was dying, we were getting ready to celebrate Passover. And I got the call from my cousin. My dad was dying. My youngest son and I get in the car. We drive to New Jersey. In the car around 4.30 in the afternoon, Erev Passover, I, I look at my son, I don't think we're going to make it. He goes, I don't think so, Dad. Let's pray. Lord, appear to my father before he dies. Reveal yourself to him in all your glory so he has a chance to say yes before he dies. Oh, God, mercy on my dad. 
We get to the hospital. And I come into the hospital. And I see my dad and he's got, he looks great. He's smiling. He's got this beautiful smile on his face. Looks a little weird because there's nothing connected to his body. And the woman there is standing there who should have called me but didn't. Says, oh, you should have been here. I said, what do you mean? Well, we got to talk about, I said, she goes, he's dead. I mean, what? He's dead. I mean, and I'm telling people, my, my fist went like this. See? I felt the Lord put his hand on my shoulder. Not physically, but just as if the Spirit of God was just saying, let it go. My hand, he's, listen, shma, listen. And it was a fraction of a second because she said, oh, you should have been here. I mean, I, want, I really wanted to kill her. She didn't call me. She says, oh, you, you should have been here. My hand went limp. I was listening. Your dad was in a coma and he just all of a sudden sat up and went, ah, ah, ah. I wish I could see what he saw. And then he lay down and died. And the smile was on my dad's face. And he was, call me crazy, he was glowing. And then the guy taps me in the shoulder and says, Rabbi, I'm sorry. I hate to tell you this, but we've got to get your dad to the morgue. It's sundown. And then, then it hit me. I went, huh? My dad died at exactly the same time Yeshua died. God knows how to set up divine appointments if we we'll put our trust in him. That no matter what he does, and you know what I preached the next day on Passover morning service? I said, call me crazy. I said, but if my dad found out he was right, he wouldn't have been smiling. <laughs> and then I said, I have something that the, the word of God tells me. I have, you could tell me, well, you don't, you're not really sure your dad has got saved. And I said, let's not even discuss it, okay? As far as I'm concerned, the smile meant, yo, <laughs> right? He's in. Now, so when Yeshua says, I've longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, that means an awful lot to me. Because when you celebrate a Passover, there are a million divine appointments that you have because of Passover. When you celebrate, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not looking for a new legalism. I'm not saying if you don't, God's going to be angry at you. I'm just saying you're missing out on some amazing, astonishing realities in your life when you live in agreement with his word. You don't have to do it, but you get to do it. You know, by grace, you don't have to read your Bible every day, but I could tell you if you do, you're going to be so different. And I'm telling you, have a Passover Seder, even if it's really simple, in your home. Can I announce our Seder? If anybody wants to come to our Seder, this, this year we're having April 24th, right? That's actually Sunday the 24th. It's the 16th in this side. We're having a resurrection Seder. Uh, in, uh, in Plainview. Now, I got to know before Tuesday if anybody wants to go. So if somebody wants to, it's an organized place. Somebody should organize it. Tell me how many people want to come. It's $42 for adults and $20 for kids. But we are going to celebrate on the 16th of Nisan that Yeshua rose from the dead on that day. All right? Now, there's so much more we could talk about, but here, here's the point. How do we apply this to our lives? There's so much to learn by living in agreement with His Word. 
City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.